Well, I'm excited to be here. And uh, as Tony said, my husband was here a couple weeks ago with you guys, and he said he had such a great time. And you guys were such a good group. I said, well, that sounds fun. I kind of want to do that. You think you can get me in? And so, you know, Tony says yes to me, but Craig maybe pulled a few strings and, and let me slide in here on Mother's Day to talk to you. And I'm especially excited because it is Mother's Day and motherhood is something near and dear to my heart. I'm a mom of three and my oldest is going to turn 12 here in a couple weeks. My youngest is seven, so that's my age range. And But I'm not going to start with a story about my momming yet. Um, I want to start with a story about another mom that I know. I have several mom figures. My mom is great. I've had several women who loved on me and mothered me as the years went by. And one is my mother-in-law, Sally. And so Craig, it's his mom, and um, she's just an amazing mom. And Craig is a great dad, and I think that's in part because he was such an ornery kid, right? Like he was such, a, such an ornery kid growing up, I think nothing faces him as a dad now. And one of my favorite stories has to do with the fact that he grew up a pastor's kid. And so his dad um, was the head pastor of a small church. And on Sunday mornings, they did not have something like Kids Point where kids could meet Jesus on their level. Um, for them, Kids Church was sit in church with the grown-ups and be quiet and sit still for an hour. Are you familiar with that kids' ministry version? <laughs> sit still, be quiet, and don't interrupt. And that did not really suit my husband. If you know Craig, if you were here when he was speaking a few weeks ago, or if you can imagine, he was not a sit still and be quiet kind of kid. He's kind of an active person. Actually, I don't know a kid that that suits super well, but imagine week after week, my mother-in-law having to take him by the hand as he's getting squirrely and lead him out of the church service so he could sit in the lobby and color or bounce off the walls or whatever it was that he needed to do. Until one week, it happened again, right? My mother-in-law, she's manning these three squirrely boys, and she's got no tag team for discipline because dad's up on stage talking, and, and Craig was getting unruly again. So she takes him by the hand, and it's like the walk of shame, right? I mean, she's the pastor's wife, right? And she can't get her kids to sit still in quiet in church. And, of course, now I'm in that role now. You know, my husband's a pastor, so I have a lot of empathy for her. So she's doing the walk of shame. And one week when this is happening, my husband, he's probably about four, he gets this bright idea that as she's leading him out of church to go color in the lobby, he starts yelling, don't beat me, Mom. Please don't beat me. My mother-in-law, she could bear, she's the most gentle person. She could barely beat an egg if a recipe called for it. And she was just like so red. She was like, oh my goodness. Like everyone in church swivels and watches Craig yelling on the way out. They knew, bless his heart, he caused several Sunday school teachers to quit. I know. And now he did now, so now I'm like, I watch my children, and I'm like, any any misbehavior we have, I feel like it's because we we earned it. Craig put his mom through the ringer, and so now we get no. Um, and so I'm now in that position. Now I'm a mom. I'm a mom in the church. And I see in that story the split that a lot of us deal with, right? The idea of here's the mom I know I am. And then there's the mom that I feel like people are perceiving me to be right? And so I have a lot of empathy for moms in this day and age of social media and pressures. And before I go any further, even, I just wanted to say one of the reasons I'm um, excited to be here on Mother's Day is to speak to moms, but some of you in the room, you may not make a big deal out of Mother's Day with your family. Some of you do celebrate it big, and some of you, Mother's Day kind of um, is a tough holiday for different reasons. And so I just want to say, 
whether this is a tough day or an easy day for you, whether you are a mom, um, wherever you're at, I've just been praying leading up to this as I've prepared, praying that there'd be something in the message that I share that God would have put something in it for you. And so I'm excited to see where God meets you with with um, his word today. So if you hear the word mom and that doesn't apply to you, feel free to fill in your role, right? Husband or um, son or um, friend or coworker, wherever it is that you're at in this message, I think there's something for you. So but my, my main role as far as my job is as a mom, full on, right? I mean, driving the minivan, going to soccer games, right? Everything I used to think was so uncool. The shoes, my kids will sometimes be like, mom, your shoes are really comfortable, but they're not very trendy. And I just have to say, yeah, that's where I'm at with life. I'm going for comfort because I'm chasing you kids, right? So maybe trendy will come up later again someday for me. And a laundry couch. Does anybody else have a laundry couch or a laundry chair? Do you, right? I never knew signing up for motherhood that it meant that some of my interior decorating style would mean random pieces of clothing, right? Just piled up on the couch. And um, dishes. Maybe some of you can relate to this and feel my pain that when I get caught up with the dishes as a mom, and I see one of my children taking out a bowl and a spoon to get breakfast in the morning, I'm sorry, I get a little resentful. I feel like saying like, how could you? How dare you? I washed all those dishes and I was caught up for 10 minutes. You can't eat now. Give me an hour, please, before you start to dirty them again. They just look at me like it's breakfast. I'm like, fine, just eat your cereal. Put it in the sink when you're done. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I feel like my mother-in-law felt that pressure to look like a good mom, but I, I was really moved by this quote from an author named Tim Keller, and he said this, if our identity is in our work, and for, the, for me that's motherhood, but for you it's whatever your work is, if our identity is in our work rather than in Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. Do you ever feel like that? Like you, you get something good, like you get a promotion or your kid gets an A on their test and you feel like, I'm winning, I'm so good at life. And then something happens. They break up with you or your kid has to bring home a note from school that says this week they were the bully at school and you just feel like, I'm a failure. Why am I even in this job? I'm not qualified to do this. I want to crawl under a rock, right? I quit adulting. Can I, can I take my application for being an adult back? I don't want to do this. And so... Um, if we're not supposed to ride a roller coaster of emotions because of our daily tasks and our job, um, the Bible says it this way. The Bible says it, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. What are we supposed to be about first? His kingdom and righteousness? Well, I can see, I understand that being all about myself and my performance is not leaving me very happy. But it can be kind of hard to know how to step out of that into this whole identity in Christ thing. And so I want to help us do that. And to do that, we're going to have to go back before our identity came, before we were even born, right, when we started our identity, back even before Jesus, right? Go back even earlier, before Noah and Moses and all those bearded guys we read about. Go back, back, back. Go back to the beginning, to the first page in your Bible, or maybe the second page, depending on how big the font is, right? Are you with me? So we're going back to the beginning, and it says that God created the world out of darkness and chaos and nothing. God created something, and he brings light to darkness 
and order to chaos and life where there was none. And as he's doing that, we get to these verses in Genesis that say, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so he creates us in his image. We're like him in some important way. And it goes on to say, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So he creates us in his image. We're like him. And then he invites us to kind of join him in governing and reigning over what he has made. That's amazing, right? That was an amazing offer to be like God and to be with God and, and for that to be enough, right? We're enough. He said it is good, right? Go for it. Be fruitful. Multiply. Live in this life and this beauty. And then we, if you keep reading, turn the page. In the next page, there's boom. We mess it up, right? Adam and Eve decide, well, maybe they're not so sure they trust God. Maybe they're not so sure they want to take that deal of being like God and being with God in that way. And they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they decide, well, instead of God saying, here's what's good and here's what's evil, maybe I want to kind of switch that up a little bit. I want to say what's good and what's evil. And pretty quickly, people start to say that what God says is evil, violence and greed and selfishness and lying. People say, well, you know what? Sometimes that might be good for me, though. I might need to lie or I might need to be violent because I just I want to get what I want. I want to I win. I want to get what I need now, and I'm going to do it my way. And then what God says is good, people decide, no, no, that's evil. Like, I, I, that's not good for me. Justice does not serve me well right now. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of this injustice because that's, that's good to me. And um, we, uh, if you've lived uh, very long on this earth, you've probably seen the fruit of that, right? You've been hurt or you've felt like you've hurt others, right? You've lived in the season. Because what we did is we took... God's kingdom, and we've like ripped away from that and said, no, my kingdom, right? My way, my kingdom. And so you kind of have these two things that are at odds and at war with each other. The Bible calls one the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And then the other one it sometimes calls the kingdom of this earth or the kingdom of sin and death because sin and death are kind of the results of us ripping away from that. And um, some of you are like, was this going to be about motherhood, I thought? Are we swinging back around? Trust me, okay? It's coming. We're coming back around to that. And so through the Bible, as you keep reading through the Old Testament, God doesn't give up on that partnership with us where we, are get to, we get to be like him and with him in what he's doing, governing and reigning. He keeps reaching out to groups of people like the Israelites or a person, a leader like David or Moses and saying, I want to try again. I want to be in partnership with you. I will be your God and you will be my people, right? And I want you to trust me that what I say is good is good and what I say is evil is evil and that that is where the best life and freedom are for you. And sometimes in the Old Testament, people say, yeah, that sounds right. I think that's right. Okay, okay, I'm in, God. I'm in this partnership. In the Bible, they call it a covenant, but it's really a partnership between God and people. And people say, yes, I'm going to do that. And then we read that, and then it's almost like you can count down. Three, two, one. Because something comes along, and people are like, yeah, but no, God. I got to lie this time. Or I got to be violent this time. 
I got to do it my way because I got to, I have this kingdom of my own that I'm trying to protect. And we just keep failing until, if you keep reading, in the fullness of God's plan, he sends Jesus, right? Jesus, who na- whose name means God saves. His other name, Emmanuel, means God with us. He comes, he shows up, and he is the perfect human. He's the first human, the only human, to get it right. What God calls good, he says is good. What God calls evil, he says is evil. And he lives that way his whole life, trusting God, even trusting God all the way to death on the cross, right? But he's not just fully human, right? The first human to live in that life that God intended. He's also fully God. So he's able to defeat death and sin and rise again. And then he says, this life that I have, I offer to you. Here it is. Here's the new covenant. Here, are you in? And I just feel like I get a sense that um, God is sitting on his throne. And in Christ, he kind of has a twinkle in his eye. And he's like patting the seat next to him, looking at us, saying, you ready? You ready to be with me? right? Like me and with me, we're going to govern over this kingdom. You're going to bring my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. That's the good news. That's the gospel, right? And you can't do it on your own. But in Christ, you can. You've been offered that life that Jesus has. How that relates to motherhood is this. That's our role. We're a role our role is God's doing something in our kids' lives, right? He's got a purpose and a plan for them, And God says, you want to join me in what I'm doing in your kids' lives? Bringing the kingdom of heaven to your family? And so I look carefully at the scriptures. I'm like, well, if I'm supposed to be like God and bringing his kingdom, how's how's God do that? And I see that from the very beginning of creation, he brings order to chaos, light to darkness, dignity, peace, justice, rest, right? These are the things of God's kingdom that he offers. And so as a mom, or for all of you, as a friend, as a coworker, I'm excited to do that, to be that now. So it can be a little complicated to know how to live that out in our daily lives and so in our roles that we have in our lives. So I want to go over four quick things that are kind of practical, how this plays out in life kind of things. And the first one is to model. You know, I think it's so easy to want to tell people hey, you should do this. Kids, you should clean your rooms. Kids, you should read your Bibles. Kids, you should be nice to your grown-ups, you know. But we're called to not show and tell, but I think show, then tell. Because of course we need to use our words with our kids. We can't just never tell them anything. But I think if we're not first showing them, it doesn't mean a lot. And I was thinking about this and how powerful modeling is, and I was remembering that somewhere floating around on my computer in that vast unknown area where all my photos go, where do they go? (laughs) I have so many photos that I haven't printed out, and I know they're there. I just keep praying that I can get that taken care of before my computer dies and, you know, and they're lost to to the circuitry. Somewhere in my computer is a video of my oldest. This is embarrassing. He's almost 12 now, like I said. And when he was a toddler, when my husband, Craig, would go out to mow the yard, you know what Grady would do. He would go out and he would grab his little plastic lawnmower, you know, the kind that goes pop, 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 pop when you push it along. And he would follow along behind Craig. I have a video of him. There goes Craig mowing the lawn. And there goes Grady tromping along behind him and his little chubby legs following Dad. Do we ever tell him, oh, you better go get your lawnmower. Dad's mowing the lawn. You better go mow the lawn. No. 
He was just watching his dad, and he wanted to do what his dad was doing. And I think if we're doing this right, if we're doing this right, our kids are watching us, and they're going to want to be who we are and do what we're doing, at least for a season, right? And so I think it's important that when the world is showing what's important, phones, technology, or people, what's important? Um, what's important, your image or being vulnerable and authentic and being in community? What's important, integrity or getting ahead and getting what you want? Faith or just doing what's comfortable, right? <clears throat> and I think they're watching us to see what we're showing is important, and they're going to do their best to mimic that in their own way, because they're going to be their own people. But, so that's the first, and that's true not just for those of you with children, but those of you with friends and family that you're hoping to show what the kingdom of God is like. Secondly, my next word is look. As parents, I think we have to care more about their hearts than what's on the outside. And it's so easy to care about outside behavior. You hit your sister, you're grounded. Right? I see what you're doing, your actions on the outside, and I'm going to come in swift and react to those actions. Now, oftentimes our kids' actions do need consequences, but, oh man, am I the first to say, it takes so much more time and energy and listening than I sometimes have to give to say, oh, wow, you hit your sister. Can we talk for a second? What's going on? What's going on in your heart right now? How are you doing, right? What, what's going on deeper underneath that that's leading to this behavior, right? Man, I hear that you're not turning in your homework and things are not going very well at school. Can we just unpack that a little bit? Are you okay with that? How is your heart? You know, are you feeling unsatisfied? Are you feeling stuck somewhere? How can I pray for you, right? And uh, in a, <laughs> that reminds me of a... Uh, my mom takes, was really good at taking the time to do this with me as I was growing up. And one of my favorite stories is when I was really little, I had a doll. It was a Raggedy Ann doll. That totally dates me. Raggedy Ann dolls were really popular in the mid to late 70s, I guess. This is, even, this is before I even got my Cabbage Patch doll, right? So, yeah, I'm old. Um, and so my Raggedy Ann doll, I named it Crobo. I don't know why. I don't know. I was a real odd little girl. I don't know, like a little kid. But I named it Crobo, and I took Crobo with me everywhere. And one holiday season... My mom and I were doing some Christmas shopping at Merle Hay Mall in Des Moines, and they had their big display set up. You know, it's like Mount Christmas. It was like multi-leveled, glittery fake snow and a big throne for Santa and fake reindeer that would like turn their animatronic heads. It was really, it was kind of terrifying now that I think back on it, but, but it was in the spirit of Christmas. And so we were there, and... Uh, and my mom, it was closed at the time. Santa was not there. It was all blocked off. And I'm looking at the display with my mom, and where she's like, oh, look at that. And we're walking. And then I just took Crobo and just heaved Crobo as far as I could. And Crobo landed on the top of, like, Mount Christmas over there. And my mom was just like, what? What? What just happened here? And I was like, Crobo. And my mom could have said, like, what are you doing? You threw Crobo up there, and now it's happening. But she just said, Why? Why? did you throw, Becky, why did you throw Crobo up there? And I said, because the display is so pretty, I just wanted Crobo to be a part of it. And my mom was like, okay, all right. And so she did the thing, you know, with the, she had to climb over these little walls and climb up Mount Christmas and get Crobo and bring it back. But I just love that even in those simple moments, she took the time to say, why? 
I want to know why you did that before I just come down on you for making my life inconvenient. I want to check in with you and what's, what's going on there. Why'd Krobo go flying? Are we mad at Krobo? What's going on? And the other thing I want to say about looking is if you, um, in the Bible, it says in 1 Samuel, um, Samuel was sharing as a prophet some of God's wisdom. And he said, speaking for the Lord, he said, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when we are faithful to do that with our kids, our words will change as well. When we look at their heart, our words will echo that. And we will not say things like, oh, you're such a brat today. Or why are you so forgetful and disorganized, right? Or how could you, you know, we're going to speak words like, um, I believe you can do better than this. I believe you love your sister. And that we're going to pray and ask God to help you be the loving kind of sister, your brother you want to be. Or, oh, you may have forgotten that today, but I know you have it in you to be responsible. What can we do that will help you remember this next time, right? Our words show, do I just care about your outside behavior and how hard you're making my life, or do I care about who you're growing to be? So that's a challenge for me as much as for anybody, trust me. And uh, my next thing to share with you is to invite just like I said, God on his throne is kind of patting the seat next to him, saying, join me in what I'm doing. I'm challenged as a mom to do that for my kids, right? I'm challenged to have them join me in what I'm doing, especially in bringing God's kingdom here to earth. I know in this day and age, it can be really tempting to say, I'm going to join my kids in their lives, and I'm going to make my whole life revolve around my kids' success, right? But I think there's a balance between allowing our, our kids to run with who they are. Yeah, be in travel ball, right? Be in gymnastics, take your instrument, be in your extracurriculars, or do what you do, be who you are. But I'm, Tony said something a couple weeks ago when he was speaking here. I listened to it online. Hey, shout out to all of our online <laughs> watchers and listeners right now. Um, and he said, in our marriages, we want to be careful to make sure that we don't make our number two our number one. Well, I want to urge you not to make your number three your number one. Because, boy, it's so easy as parents to slip from, I care about you and I'm, I'm celebrating what you're good at, to saying, I get my identity as a parent from what you're good at. You see, are you with me? Does anybody else struggle with that? Just me? <laughs> and so I just want to urge you to keep inviting your kids into being part of serving and caring about being on mission, saying, oh, wow, there's a serving day at church. And for some of you, this isn't about your kids. This is about inviting um, your friend to come serve at church. Or this isn't by, about inviting your coworker who would love a spot on the couch next to you at your life group, right? Continue to invite into a life of big purpose. And then my fourth point is to forgive. Did I save the toughest one for last? Perhaps. I think we have to work at forgiving our kids and reminding them that when they do something wrong, they have a consequence that we can give them with empathy. One of the best pieces of advice I got early on in my parenting is to give your kids their consequence with empathy, if possible. If you need to, wait until you're calm before you even tell them what the, con the consequence is. To just be able to say, oh, I'm so bummed for you. 
wow, it looks like no TV for the rest of the night. That is too bad. Instead of like, I, the opposite for me, and, and I struggle with this, is to say to my kids the message, you've made my life inconvenient, and so you need to emotionally pay for that. Until I see you suffer for a little while and see that you're really feeling, until you do that, I'm not happy as a parent. And that's not the message of the kingdom to our kids, right? That's not the message God gives to us, right? God says, you do have consequences for your sin, but I've, I've carried the weight of that. There's no shame, right? And so maybe you need to work on being forgiving of your kids. Um, the other night, my youngest, Crosby, he's seven, he had a really rough day. It was just a day where he and I, it just wasn't a good day. We were buttonheads, and bedtime came, and right before bedtime, I found out that he had told a lie, and it was kind of a big lie. It was kind of a blatant lie. It was a big deal, and I was really disappointed, and so at bedtime, I just really, really was honest with him, and I was like, hey, we don't lie to people we love, right? We trust people we love. It really hurts when you lie to me. And, and, I, and I just kept going, you should have been there. It was a great sermon, actually, about lying, <laughs> you know? And he, he was, like, not feeling it. I could tell. Like, with, with some of my kids, sometimes I'll be like, oh, this is going really well. Like, I'm just speaking truth, and their hearts are soft, and they're like, I'll never lie again. And I'm like, yes, I got it. got this, God. And, and Crosby was like, bloop, you know, like, I don't know, Mom. I'm okay, yeah. And, and I was like, no, no, no. And so I kept pushing in a little bit more, like, if you love people, you don't lie to them, and this is a big deal. And, and I was kind of frustrated, and I kind of walked out of the room, and, and he's like, oh, you didn't do, like, a little routine. You didn't pray for me. And I was like, you pray. You got to talk to God about what you did. And, and I stomped out. And then a few minutes later, I was brushing my teeth, and I just felt that nudging, you know, go back in go back in. He wasn't asleep yet, obviously, because that was the kind of day it was. He was not going to fall asleep quickly either. So I walk in, and the room is dark, and I just walked up to his bed, and I said something that I try to say to my kids every day. I said, Crosby, I want you to remember, though, that I love you. I don't love you because you're honest, and I don't love you because you're perfect. I love you because you're mine. And I say to him every day, I love you bigger than a mountain, and I always will. And God loves you even more than that. And I just saw his body relax a little bit. And I said, good night, bud. Sweet dreams. And I walked out of the door. Sometimes it's about forgiving your kids, right? Secondly, sometimes it's about forgiving yourself. We can't carry our failures on our back. When we do that, when we say, oh, I didn't forgive my kids, and I didn't bring peace to my family today, and I didn't model for them what it's like, you know, and I just kind of blew it, then if you try to pay emotionally for that by making yourself suffer and to carry the weight of that, we're saying, um, yeah, Jesus, you didn't do what you said you did. You said you forgave me and that you carried the weight of my sin and my shame, but, but no, you didn't. I got to carry it now. That's ridiculous, right? This sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but you do, is it just me? I do that? Are you with me? Right? We're like, I've sinned, and so now I got to feel terrible about myself as a parent for a while, as opposed to saying, um... God, I'm yours, right? God's saying over us, I love you bigger than a mountain, and I always will. And you're free, free to have a new day. Tomorrow's a new day to be a parent. And then lastly, maybe the person you have to forgive is a mom. Your mom or the mother of your children when they make mistakes, right? And some of you have mom stories that make me glad I'm wearing waterproof mascara right now because 
We have needs, right? We have needs for safety and love and acceptance and training. And some of us, our moms failed us horribly. Um, and we need to remember that sin is real, but so is redemption, right? And that in the ways that people fail to meet our needs, God never fails. And he comes through. And when, when we live lives that are about our kingdom, here's what I say is good and here's what I say is bad. And when people hurt you, then those people should pay forever, right? This is my kingdom and you've wounded me. And so you are an enemy of the kingdom forever. But when we're living lives that are about God's kingdom, right, we can trust that God will bring justice. And we sometimes need to have boundaries, right? That doesn't mean, you know, when people wound us, it doesn't mean we don't sometimes need to change the relationship. But it means that we don't have to wait for them to pay. You better pay. You owe me. You haven't paid yet, right? And we just get more and more unhappy. In Jesus, we can let go of that in forgiveness. <clears throat> now, um, the way I like to think of it is in the gaps, I most clearly see God. There's a big gap between who I am as a mom and who I want to be, who my kids are and who I want them to be, right? Who my mom is and who I want her to be, although she's pretty cool. You know, okay. Um, okay, she, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in humility, we see that God is filling gaps. That's what he does. He fills the empty and brings light to dark. He's really, really good at it. And if we look closely, we can see him doing it. And I have an embarrassing story, and it's embarrassingly recent. It's from this week, a place where I saw to appreciate how God fills in the gaps. And it's not so much about motherhood. Um, it's about humanhood. I'm going to tell you. It's about being a successful adulting human being, okay? So I had, um, I was bringing my son to baseball practice. I dropped him off. I ran home to get something. And then I drove back to the baseball field. And I had to park to watch the game. The parking lot, the, the paved part was full, and so as usual, cars needed to park in this field, and I drove into the field, and on the right, where it's all flat and nice, it was full, it was a really busy night with the games, and so I had to turn to the left, where I never park, and it's kind of, and as soon as I start saying this, some of you are gonna anticipate where I'm going, and you're right, it is where I'm going, and it's kind of this weird hill, it like goes up steeply and then back down, and I didn't, I was in a hurry, right, because when are we not in a hurry, right? Amen, moms, right? So I'm pulling in fast. I'm talking to my daughter, and I kind of come at this hill, and I don't notice that it's all like huge pickup trucks and stuff along that side, and I kind of come in at an angle, and then I'm talking to my daughter, and I straighten out the van, and I keep going, and then, and I kind of stop, and I'm like, no, nah, I think this is kind of a weird hill that I'm on. I think I'm going to pull forward a few more inches, and I went, and I know I didn't. I did not pull forward a few more inches because I was hung up on the hill. My, the belly of my minivan my swagger wagon, if you will, was resting on the top of this hill and the wheels were moving and the van was not. That was fun, right? That was like awful. And so I'm like, well, okay, let me, let me try to go backward, right? If I can't go forward, maybe I'll drive backwards and my back wheels will catch and life will be good. And I tried to go backward and that didn't work. My wheels were spinning. And then I was like, well, I know one thing that in this circumstance you shouldn't do is you shouldn't keep trying to rock backward and forward because the wheels are going to spin more down into. So I only tried that one or two more times. Oh, geez. And then I'm like, okay, all right. So we turn the van off. My daughter and I get out. My daughter's like, ha ha, how funny. Look how close the ground is to the van. And I was like, Ha ha, yeah. And then we sit on the bleachers at the game and I start the text thread with my husband. It goes something like this. Hey, we're at the game. Send. Um, the van is a little stuck in the field. You might need to help me with that when you get there. Send. 
And he's like, stuck, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, it's kind of hung up on the hill. Ha ha, Santa like. And he was so excited and thrilled about the opportunity that meant for our evening of getting the van out. And he's like, well, what do you think I'm going to do about it? And I'm like, maybe you could push it a little while I back it out. And he's like, well, we'll just see when I get there. So he gets to the game. The game gets over. We walk over there. And um, he tries to push it, and it doesn't do anything. And at this point, people are showing up for the, for the game. And here's the joy. People I know, coaches from the other team that my husband coaches with, parents that I know, they're all starting to walk by. And they see the hubbub of Craig trying to push the van and me with the window down and saying, one, two, three, go. And, and people are like, look at their van is stuck. Their van is stuck. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat, hi, yeah, we, ha, ha. you know, I, I'm a good driver. And, um, and so finally some other coaches come up, right? And three of these guys are pushing, one, two, three, go, and I'm backing up. And they're like engineers, they're like studying the wheels, and oh, it won't work to do this. And then finally a fourth guy comes up, and he's a firefighter. He's got like the shirt on and all the stuff on his truck. And he, even my daughter is like, okay, we're good now. Because he was just like, and these four guys, I think basically they lifted the front of my van and pushed it so that my wheels would catch and it got off. And then um, those guys scattered except one of the other coaches um Craig had to go get my my son's gear and this other guy whose son is in the class I'm teaching long-term subbing for he felt like it would be a good idea for him to talk me through backing the van up and how to drive around through the field and I wanted to tell no I could do that part then I was like, I don't know, can I? Yeah, okay, tell me. Tell me what to do. Okay, I'll do what you say. And then I was like, I can never give his kid a bad grade again. Because anytime I do, he's going to be like, but I helped your van. Remember that time that you could not even get out of a parking lot? And I'm like, A's. A plus for your kid for the rest of the year. And please don't mention this to anyone. So as this is over, I must have been red for like half an hour afterwards. Because it was just a little mortifying to show how imperfect I was. I just felt like a fool. And I'm driving back home. And I am starting to think about this and how God is in our, our gaps. And I said to my daughter, that was awful. <laughs> I did not enjoy a single minute of that, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God keeps showing me in these little glimpses that I'm not perfect and that it's okay because he's perfect and he's going to provide what I need right? He's going to provide. And sometimes that means I need other people and I can't do it alone. And God needs me to remember that too. And I'm so glad my daughter could hear that because there's going to be times that she feels like a failure and imperfect. And I want her to think, whew, I'm not supposed to be perfect. Good thing God's perfect and he meets my needs, right? And so um, if you are overwhelmed by the pressure to be perfect, I want to just share with you a little analogy, especially as a parent. Um, have you ever heard of the mom wars, like the mommy wars, right? Bottle feed, you know, nursing, all the things, and, and the wars and getting it right. When I had my kids as really uh, little peanuts, I, I was all in. I was reading every book. How do I do this perfect? I'm not going to mess up my kids, right? Okay, and it was so difficult because it kept changing. When my oldest was born, don't feed them peanut butter until they're three. And then my second was born, oh, actually, you should feed them peanut butter. It shows now, oh, we were wrong. Yeah, they're less likely to be allergic if you do feed them peanut butter. And I was like taking notes and reading the blogs and trying to figure out, okay, okay, if I apply for Harvard by the time they're 18, like we, you know, I was all over it. And I realized that even though I'd known Jesus and followed him for a long time, I was kind of acting like the life I wanted for my family was a combination lock, right? If I turn the dial of nutrition just right, 
can they eat kale every other day, right? And then if I got the education thing right, okay, when do I start the videos that teach them French? Okay, I got that one right. And then like, oh, I want them to be athletic, so they should probably be in soccer by the age of three, or they'll be behind. And then, oh, and I want them to wear decent clothes. So is it Under Armour or Nike this season? I don't know, okay. And then the last dial was Jesus, okay? So if I get the nutrition and the education and the coolness and the athletics, and then I make sure that they're learning Bible verses and going to church, click, it opens it up and whew, they're gonna turn out okay. No, no, that is a life of slavery, right? That's a life of misery, to feel like I, I gotta get it right. I gotta get it right, I can't mess this up. Jesus is the key in the lock. He's not one number on a list of combination numbers. He's the key to freedom. He opens, when we trust that Jesus has got this in the gaps, Right, that in the gaps where we fail, that's where God is doing his work, even when we can't see. When we trust that Jesus has got our kids' destinies and futures in a way that I never can, then that sets me free. The lock opens and I'm free to live in joy as a mom, even in my failures. And I wanna share with you a quote <clears throat> from Gloria Furman. If, if you love mom books and you don't wanna read a book that says, here's how you should be perfect, Here's how much kale they should eat every day. But you want a book that's going to make you feel some joy and excitement about motherhood, I recommend chasing some of her books down. She said this, For many of us homemakers, our greatest fear is in being found incompetent, insufficient, and ineffective. We prefer to look like we've got it all together. We give lip service to the idea that, oh yeah, nobody's perfect, but we would rather die trying to prove that we're the exception to the rule. We say, oh yeah, no mom is perfect, right? We're imperfect together, but then secretly we're like, yeah, like little squirrels in the background, but I'm gonna be the one that's perfect. That doesn't lead anybody to freedom, right? I love this quote because I'm the person who's hanging up the van, <laughs> right? I'm the person who's yelling at my kid because their socks don't match. I'm the one, and I, I want you to know, I'm learning, I don't wanna die on the altar of perfection. That's the same mistake Adam and Eve made at the beginning of all this mess. It's that pride that says, I got this. I want to figure this out. I can do it all alone, perfectly, because I'm going to decide what perfection is, and I'm going to achieve it. That's not right. In Christ, our heads and our hearts get on straight, and we can say, I can't define perfection, but God can. And I can't achieve it, but I can partner with a God who takes my imperfect and makes it beautiful anyway. I can faithfully keep pulling weeds in the garden where God is growing peace and justice and rest and dignity and healing in me and in my kids. He is the faithful one and I can follow him. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about how in our weakness he is strong Maybe you've heard it in that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Well, I'm not gonna do a Taylor Swift rewriting of the words, but I am gonna rewrite the words to that song and say, all us moms to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. All of us people to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. So I hope that you remember that that's enough that God is 
in Christ, partnering with you to make you like him and to bring his kingdom here in your family, in your workplace, in your friend group, right? He's saying, come on, I'm doing this. Come with me. Come, I'll model for you. You model for them. Let's do this. And that is joy, right? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you faithfully promised to look at our hearts and not our outsides. You did not just deal with our sin on the outside and our behaviors. You're not Mr. Behavior Management. You are Mr. Heart Replacement. You take our pride and our stubbornness and our sin and you take it away and you offer us freedom. God, I pray for every person in here that we would run toward you, that we would rest in you, that we would remember that you say you love us, not because we're good, but because we're yours. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Happy Mother's Day.